in this month of February, we have as our scripture memory verses from Psalm 132. There are verses that start to give to us a bit of a pictures of the tabernacle, of the temple, where the priests would serve, and also to start to give to us a description how we, as a priesthood of all believers, serve Jesus as well. For these words, we always uh, say them on the Sunday morning together. They are up on the screen. I invite you to stand with me for these few moments in body or spirit as we say together the words of Psalm 132, starting at verse 7. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool, saying, Arise, Lord, and come to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. God's very word. Thanks be to God. And you may be seated. This morning, we welcome uh, Pastor Matthew Wright to come and to uh, proclaim and open up God's word for us. Matthew and his wife, Krista, have recently moved to West Michigan from California. And Krista works at uh, South, uh, South Christian High School, uh, just down the road. Uh, Matthew is an ordained pastor in the Christian Reformed Church, and they have two grown daughters. I invite you to join with me and give a warm welcome to Pastor Matthew as he comes up here. It's a, uh, it's a joy to be with you all this morning. Uh, Krista and I were here about a month or so ago uh, and had the privilege of worshiping with you, but uh, it is, uh, uh, it's great to be back here today and have the chance to proclaim God's word. So people of God, would you please rise in body or in spirit for a reading from God's holy word. I'll be reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is God's very word. Thanks be to God. I've known for a few weeks now uh, that I would be preaching here today, and so I've been following along with Pastor Paul's sermons on the, the book of Hebrews. 
and learning about these snapshots that we see uh, of Jesus in, in Hebrews. And if I've counted correctly, there have been a couple of dozen, maybe 25 or so of these snapshots. And these have been wonderful, haven't they? And they give us a, a chance to know Jesus better. They give us a chance to see who he is and what he has done, what he is still doing today. Now, what happens when you get a big stack of pictures? Usually they get put in a box. Sometimes they get put up on a shelf somewhere. Sometimes you might put them in a, a photo album or a scrapbook and you can arrange them to, to tell a story. Sometimes they end up just on your phone or in the cloud. But no matter how you store them, at some point, you usually go back and you, you look at them, you flip through them, and there might be one or two that, that catch your eye, and you spend a lot more time looking at those. So I believe that our reading today is a, a little bit like that. It's not so much that it gives us more snapshots to look at, but it does give us a chance to, to examine a couple, of them, a couple of them a little more closely. So which images or snapshots are those? Well, today it's the Word of God, Jesus as the Word of God, and Jesus, our great high priest. So we start with the Word. The Word, our reading says, is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating, even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Now, wait a minute. When we first saw this image, Word of God, back in chapter 1, it described God as sustaining all things by his powerful word. It said, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, that sounds uh, attractive, pleasant even. It comforts us to know that it is God who sustains all things. But what he says here, though, about the sword, or what he says about the word being a double-edged sword, is not pleasant. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. This is talking about slicing people up. And our reading tells us why it can be so painful, so dangerous. It says that the word is able to judge the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And we often go to, to great lengths to disguise or to hide our true thoughts and attitudes, especially when we think that they might show weakness. We're especially good at hiding them from other people. We hide our, our thoughts and our attitudes from our coworkers sometimes. We might put on a, a persona, a work persona that is tough and, and ready to go to battle every day. We might hide them from our, our friends and, and family, insisting that we're doing just fine when we really aren't. Maybe we hide our, our thoughts and attitudes from our brothers and sisters in Christ at church if we think that they will reflect poorly on us. Most often, though, I, I think that we're, we're tempted to hide our, our thoughts and attitudes from ourselves. 
convincing ourselves that, that eventually, when, when we're ready, we'll take care of that problem that has been eating us up on the inside. But these thoughts are uncovered and laid bare by his word. When we stare at and explore this snapshot, it's not as comforting as at first glance. It makes us see things that we'd we'd rather not see. Maybe it's a little bit like looking at a snapshot of ourselves that doesn't look too good. Maybe it's one that hasn't been photoshopped or had any Instagram filters applied to it. It shows us the unvarnished truth. There are times when Scripture describes God's Word as a a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we might imagine that lamp casting a nice warm glow to to guide our way. That's not what we have here. Here the the Word is more like a, a bright, stark, bare bulb in an interrogation room that leaves us nowhere to hide. We're naked and laid bare in front of this word, and and this is not comforting. We also read in Ephesians that the word is the sword of the Spirit, that is part of the whole armor of God. Now, that's also a sword, like today, but it's described there a little bit differently. There, Paul says, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you can stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now that's a little bit easier to hear, isn't it? Since that's, that sword is being used against the devil and not on us. But this time, in our reading today, we're the target. This time, this word is cutting us. Did you ever cut yourself with a, a really sharp knife? I remember one time I was, I was matting a picture, and I took an X-Acto knife and, and I sliced the tip of my finger. And I, I saw it when it happened. It was one of those times where you see it, and you don't feel anything just yet, I think, man, that's going to hurt. <laughs> that one cost me a few stitches, and I still have a little bit of a scar. I think sometimes that, that happens when we encounter God's Word. It could be that we're encountering the Word, Jesus, by reading the Bible on our own, or maybe together in a Bible study, or more often when we're listening to it being read in worship, and then preached. We hear a reading and we think, this one's going to hurt. Maybe it's about a a sin or a vice that we have a particular problem with. Lust or greed or envy. Maybe anger or hatred or resentment. And the preacher starts preaching and, and it feels like he's He's talking directly to us. It feels like somehow he's been in our head and knows what we're thinking. Or maybe it's a passage uh, about a theological issue or an ethical issue where we really struggle to, to believe and to trust 
the viewpoint of, of Scripture in the church. We hear the word read and preached that goes against what we want to believe. And we start to feel that double-edged sword cutting us, laying us open. What happens when we face this? When we encounter this double-edged sword of the word? Well, we usually try to escape it. We can do this in different ways. We can, we can try to ignore it. We can put our Bible away and, and avoid passages that hit a little too close to home. I can tell you that I was pretty shy of knives for a while after I cut my finger. Or maybe we can change churches when things get too uncomfortable. Sometimes we leave the church altogether. We simply say, I I can't deal with this and and leave or, or drift away slowly. In one way or another, our temptation, our our first instinct is to try to avoid these painful cuts from the Word. But our passage tells us, and, and ultimately we know this, that there is no escape. Nothing is hidden. Everything is uncovered. Eventually, we face the one to whom we must give account. No matter how long we try to put it off, Eventually, we realize that God knows how we fall short, and there's no escaping. But there's got to be more to it, right? Why does God cut us so sharply with his word? Verse 13 says that nothing in all creation is hidden from his sight. Everything is uncovered before him. But he doesn't need the word for that. He already knows us. He created us. The word doesn't slice us open for God's benefit as if he didn't already know. The Psalms tell us that the Lord perceives our thoughts from afar, that he is familiar with all of our ways, that before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. He knits us together in our mother's womb, and he numbers the hairs on our head. God doesn't discover our innermost thoughts through his word. He already knows them. His word, whether it's the the living word, Jesus, or, or the written word in scripture, or the preached word, his word is how he gets our attention. It's how he confronts us, and he does this for our sake, not for his. We do such a good job of deceiving ourselves that it takes the the sword of his word to shake our complacency and to make us confront ourselves honestly. When we finally stop fleeing, stop avoiding, when when we finally let the word do its work, That's when it divides our soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It shows us and convicts us of where we fall short. And we come to realize there is just no way that I can live up to what God expects of me. That's a scary place to be. 
But you know what? We are never closer to the gospel than when we realize that we can't do it on our own. Because it's not supposed to end there. This stark news is not the only word for today. Remember, we have two snapshots today. The second one, our passage says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We don't really think much about high priests these days in in our culture. But as Jewish Christians, the recipients of this letter would have been deeply familiar. Over the next several chapters, several weeks in Hebrews, you're going to to hear a lot. You've already heard some about high priests. So for today, I'll just give you the the one-minute version. The great annual act of worship in the Old Testament in in Israel was, uh, was the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. All of the the worship and offerings and and sacrifices that were made in the sanctuary of the temple on other days culminated in that one day when, when worship was led by the high priest. He stood before the people as their representative to God, and he confessed vicariously all the sins of Israel, and, and he offered up animals in acts of penitence. He would enter into the Holy of Holies, that that special part of the temple, the inner sanctum that was only used on that day, on the Day of Atonement. And there he would would sprinkle the, the blood from the sacrificed animals onto the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And he would pray that that God would remember his covenant and forgive his people. This points to what Jesus has done and does for us as high priest. That's what this snapshot shows us. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross takes the place of those repeated sacrifices in the temple. And God remembers his covenant and forgives us. Later in Hebrews, it says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus' perfect sacrifice fulfills the law where we have failed, and he does this in our place. When the word cuts us and we turn to Christ, when we're united with Christ, God looks at us. But instead of seeing our imperfections and the ways that we don't measure up, he sees Christ's perfect righteousness, and he he credits it to us. That's how Jesus is our high priest. Last week, he was the true and better Moses. Today, we see him as the true and better high priest, the the perfect high priest. Now, all of this can start to feel very theoretical. But I want to make it very clear. If you feel yourself cut by God's word, laid bare before our judge, then the living word, Jesus, is drawing you to himself. Pray to him. Approach his throne of grace and you will receive mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. 
He's not pushing you away. He's drawing you closer. Not only by what he did 2,000 years ago on the cross, but by what he is doing right now. Further on in Hebrews, we'll read that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus, our high priest, right now, is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. Our risen Savior has ascended into heaven and is sitting at the Father's right hand as we speak today. He's not begging a a grumpy Father God to look the other way. Since you are united with Jesus in your baptism, the Father looks at you and sees Christ's perfection and righteousness. We just sang about that this morning. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. You are brought into fellowship with the Father through this high priest son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of this, Hebrews says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Instead of letting the double-edged sword drive you away, let it draw you to God's throne of grace with confidence. The word this morning is indeed a powerful, cutting word. And it's also a gracious, merciful word. Scottish Presbyterian pastor and theologian James Torrance tells the story of when he was lecturing at Fuller Seminary in Southern California. He was staying in an apartment near the ocean, and one day as he he went for a swim, he ran into an older man who was walking along the beach deep in thought. After Torrance came out of the water, they started talking to each other, and And Torrance uh, told the man why he was there. And the guy's face just lit up. And he said, how astonishing that I meet you just now. The man, it turns out, had been happily married for half a century, but his wife was dying of cancer. And he told Torrance, I've been walking up and down the streets of Newport Beach at night, desperate, because I don't know how to face the future without my wife and without faith. He said, my father was a Presbyterian minister and I was brought up in a godly home, but I've drifted away from the church. When you spoke to me, I was remembering how my father was a a man of prayer and had wonderful faith when my mother died. I wish I had that faith. I have been walking up and down this beach trying to pray but I can't. Torrance replied to him, may I say to you what I'm sure your father would would have said to you? He said, in Jesus Christ, we have someone who knows all about this. He has been through it all, through suffering and death and separation, and he will carry you both through it to resurrection life. He has heard your cry for faith and is answering. He continued, 
You've been walking up and down this beach wanting to pray, trying to pray, not knowing how to pray. But in Jesus Christ, you have someone who is praying for you. He has heard your groans and is interceding for you and with you and in you. The man sought him out each of the next several days, desperately wanting to hear more each time. And finally, he pleaded with Torrance to, to come to his wife's bedside to talk to her. Torrance writes movingly about how he spoke to them about the loving God, the Father, who has given us Christ and the Spirit to draw us to himself in prayer, and about Jesus Christ who died for us so that we might be forgiven, to receive the gift of sonship, and to be led by the Spirit into eternal life. He writes, I spoke about Christ, our great high priest, touched with a feeling of our infirmities, interceding for us, opening our hearts by the Spirit, and I prayed for them both. A few weeks later, Torrance writes, the man wrote to me to tell me that his wife had passed on, safe in the arms of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, hold firmly to the faith you profess. Not through your own strength, but through the strength of our, our great high priest who intercedes for you. When the word, that double-edged sword, cuts you, when it lays you bare, when it penetrates and divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow, don't turn away from the word. Let it draw you closer. Let it draw you into prayer. When the word frustrates you, when it angers you or saddens you or makes you feel like you don't measure up, turn to Jesus. If you struggle to pray, if you struggle to find the right words, turn yourself over to him. He knows your struggles. He has been tempted in every way, just as we are. He is interceding for you, praying for you. He is a great high priest, presenting you to the Father, clothed in his own righteousness. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we approach your throne of grace with confidence seeking mercy and grace to help in our time of need. We praise you for the gift of your holy word. Even when we find it sharp, when it divides our soul from spirit and joints and marrow, even when it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts, <clears throat> we pray that through it, through him, you would soften our hearts and that he would draw us closer to himself. Give us the strength to hold firmly to the faith we profess through our Savior and High Priest who intercedes for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.